You're listening to This Is Spinal Crap, the podcast about living well with a spinal cord injury. Remember, if you heard it on This Is Spinal Crap, it's probably not medically correct, so always check with your spinal unit or an appropriate medical professional. This Is Spinal Crap is sponsored by Colourplast, providing effective solutions for bladder and bowel management. at This Is Spinal Crap. Today in the studio, I am joined once again by Ian Mackey. Hello. Rubayat Ahmed. Hello. Good to see you, Rubes. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. We're going to have to find out how you're getting on in just a second. And we have two fabulous guests today. We have Mike Dye. Hello. And Sue Patterson. Hello. Who we are going to learn a little bit more about in just a moment. But first of all, Rubes, where have you been? Been busy. I've been missing a <laughs> couple of episodes. Yeah, so have you been I'm playing tennis? From, uh, not really. Just, just studying, working hard. Not even. I don't know what I've been doing. Time <laughs> just flies. <laughs> Watching F one. Yeah. Watching yeah. the tennis. O two. Yeah. No, I've been. I've been busy with the wrong thing. And have you been busy. writing your masters? <laughs> no. Pieces. <laughs> you meant to say yes in case no, like. I, I, so I can't lie to the we have to, we have to hold you to account for this because remember we put it all into those boxes. Yeah, what I we're do gonna remember. Do this year. Yeah. I mean, and if your ma- lecturer is listening to this and you're not doing the work, what's he gonna say? You know, <laughs> Penny, please don't share this. <laughs> you know. You're supposed to be a role model, Rubes. <laughs> yeah, not me, not me. I'll leave that job to you guys. Okay, guys, it's our final episode of this series. As I mentioned, we have two guests in the studio today. It's a show about physical recovery, rehabilitation, ongoing therapies. And I'm delighted to be able to introduce Mike Dye, who's a physio at the Circle Hospital in Reading. Sports therapist. Sports therapist. Yeah. Okay. Slightly different. Okay, well, you'll you'll explain that to us in a little while. And Sue Patterson, who is our lead clinical specialist physiotherapist at the (laughs) London Spinal Cord Injury (laughs) Centre. So it's quite a mouthful. Um, Do you also teach at UCL, is that correct? Yeah, I do some, some of the teaching for the master's courses, yeah. And am I right in understanding that you've had like textbooks published and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's wow. So you're, you're like wow. the, the physio cool. guru, the spinal <laughs> cord injury physio guru. We aren't we worthy. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, we have uh, yeah, master in the house. Um, very good. Um, Sue, thanks for coming in today. And this is not your first foray into media with me though, is it? No. no. <laughs> We're quite infamous. Yeah. <laughs> Myself and Sue went viral in, in Ireland. Um, we were on, was it the Irish Mirror yeah, or the Sun Irish or really? know, some yeah. rag anyway? I've actually got it on the, on the slide on my computer. I'll show you all later. Were you drunk? <laughs> no, why do you ask that all the time? No, I'm just as crazy when I'm sober as yeah. I am when right. I'm drunk. Um, no, it was we were we were dancing in the uh, in the gym in, the gym. in Stanmore. It's important. It oh yeah, yeah, rehab. yeah. It was yeah, rehab. Yeah, sure. yeah, it was it was unconventional rehab, and um, rehab should be <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's why you're here today. So, <laughs> um, we have spent some time together in the past, and you've been a huge part of my rehab journey. Um, and I'm that weird person who likes physiotherapy. So <laughs> Sue, Sue and I have gotten on quite well. Um, Mike, you mm-hmm. work with Ian, is that right? Yes. 
Not not as in employment. He's <laughs> my, my patient with with Ian. We hold yes. hands a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and cuddles. And cuddles. Yeah. <laughs> the first encounter I had with Mike was on some stairs, and I was, he told me to go down the stairs, not use the lift at the uh, rehab centre I was in. And he was sort of guiding me down with his arms out in front of me, doing my I, job, doing his job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I, it looked like he wanted to give me a cuddle. Yeah. So I just sort of said, if you want a cuddle, it's fine. We can just, you know, we can hug it out. And this was the first time I met him. And then we had a, we had a man hug and it's been history ever since. It was good. So in terms of actual work that you do together, then what does that entail? So now we're working on building up in strength in the muscles that we, he has currently working. So upper limb, fine, getting a lot stronger. Um, but as you probably know, and the listeners know on the podcast is that um, primarily in his major uh, muscle groups working or in his legs are the quads and hamstrings hasn't really got a lot of well has no activation of his glutes minimal in um, ankle movement so and calves yeah so because of the um, biomechanical issues there a lot of the force going through his legs when walking is um, through his quads which were very weak when we first started so he was getting a lot of knee pain he was that was also because I broke both my legs in my accident as well. Yeah. So there was a lot of more issues than just my spinal cord injury. Yeah, so we're just working on those um, sort of ongoing issues to stop him from feeling these uh, niggles that he's getting from the so injury. So is it safe to say then, Sue, you kind of deal with patients or people from the earlier stages of rehab up until they're kind of integrated back into the community? And then that's pretty much where you kind of work with people from. Is that, am I correct? We are lucky at the London Spot Injury Centre because we can actually see patients all the way through their journey. So we do see them and follow them up. So we're quite rare that we provide that service. Mm-hmm. So in most other centres, they don't provide that service. So we do see our patients and we will follow them up. Yeah, as you know. That's like myself. Um, like you. Um, they so can't get rid do, of me. <laughs> we do give our patients the opportunity to come back. It's a bit of a long journey for them. And, you know, un, it's not reasonable for them to always want to come back. Mm. So obviously we refer on to any services that are appropriate. And so we do work very closely with our colleagues in the in the community if they're, if they're available in the NHS or in the private sector. And quite often now it's the private sector because the NHS is just completely strapped for community mm. services now. It's a, it is mm. a postcode lottery, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, so obviously we love working with any of our colleagues and work together really and try and make plans and, and treatment plans. So I think we, we keep a kind of a global holistic review of our patients because we have an insight into all of their issues whereas our other colleagues will only know bits of their issues because they've only just got to know that bit of them as they're seeing them as an outpatient. But obviously it depends on the length of the journey. You get to know them for longer and longer and then they, they know the patients really well and better than we do. So it's, it's a team. It's an interesting relationship, isn't it? The relationship between mm. physiotherapist and patient or between sports therapist mm. and patient. Or I don't know, do you, do you use the word patient? I personally don't particularly like it, but that's what we are. Mm. Um, client, whatever. It, you, you can build really... like. Ian gives you hugs, Mike. Yep. <laughs> I'll give everyone hugs. Stop, I thought it was special. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you can build quite strong relationships mm. then. Yeah, you start to really care about the patient more and more throughout their journey. You almost want to do better for them than they even do for their own, own selves. Um, sometimes they want to give up and you're like, no, come on, you know, keep going. Um, so, yeah, you do. You, you I think that's why Mike and I got on so well because I like being pushed. Yeah. So Mike's keen to push me into you know doing the right thing not doing the incorrect method of doing things um so yeah when i finished my rehabilitation at the circle mike and i are now 
I had a GoFundMe page for my wheelchair and rehabilitation. So I paid for Mike privately to come to the gym so I could do work at the gym because I was nervous of what I could and couldn't do because of the injuries that I had. Mm. Um, I couldn't just go in and just lift weights like I used to because um, I can't stand or balance. And we're finding that out now and we're finding by out doing stuff in do. the gym, mm. stuff like the rower. You know, uh, you can do the arm movements but can't fill the seat. So risk of falling off the seat. Um, using cable machines, you know, upper body can do it but can't support lower legs. So have almost stumbled a few times. So we've had to tweak the way we do a strengthening program by using um, benches, you know, sitting down, getting support, um, but still getting the the uh, stress going through the muscles to get that stimulation to get them stronger. Otherwise, you know, we're not we're not going to improve his function. What we've talked many times in this show about how every injury is different. Mm. So every person that you work with, um, I'm sure you have to come up with different ways you know, to, to engage them and, and to, you know, different plans for each patient. So I know that you're unconventional. We've mentioned that. <laughs> what are some of the more kind of um, weird or wonderful uh, things that you've done with patients to, to kind of engage them in the process? I, th- I think as a team, all, all the therapists are very innovative that work with our patient groups. And I think we have to because we're trying to reintegrate you back into your life. We're trying to work out what, what makes a, a difference to you. So your idea of what you need to do is maybe different to what Ruth would do. Mm, yeah. Exactly. It's a very it's different... It's personal sort yeah, of experience I, and personal feeling, isn't it, about yeah. the person you're dealing with at yeah. the time. And, and you've got to look at your personalities and yeah. also your, your life and what you need to do for you. And the, and the variability comes in, especially with spasticity. So where patients do have spasticity, even if they have the same level of injury, their, their presentation of spasticity can be so variable that you're having to work around that to make sure that you're not reinforcing a bad movement and a bad pattern, because then as they get further recovery, you, recovery you've got to try and undo that. So there are patients that would try and walk at any cost, and there have been years ago... Back in the, back <laughs> Me and Ian looking at <laughs> 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 yeah. uh. Don't know anyone that did that. Yeah. <laughs> but there have been you know, some... some places where that's encouraged years ago yeah. that's not now but it, back in bad old days and I've been doing this a long time um, so so you used to see patients walking quite badly because they were desperate to walk but in fact they developed contractures developed all yeah, sorts yeah. of problems and then got recovery and then you had to go through loads of procedures to undo all yeah. that tightness and you know so you've got to be innovative and the, the thing to do is to make patients feel that they've got the control to reach their goals without feeling like they're frustrated that you're holding them back I think neurophysio had a bad rap years ago, and uh, and they used to have um, you know a theory about you know patients weren't allowed to walk until they were perfect, and I was never one of those conventional therapists. And there was a lady called Sue Edwards who was a real pioneer of this behaviour and this attitude to therapy, which was very much about looking at what really mattered to the patient and making it ha- happen for them without compromising what they needed. Um, so um, I was very much following her ideas when I first started training and I've kind of carried on so yeah I do anything really I mean we've taken patients to do all sorts of crazy things and it's really you know whatever makes it work for them really it's about rehabilitation in a real life rather than trying to just put it in a, a sterile gymnasium setting it's quite hard to do for everyone though. absolutely and this brings me to you Rubes. we haven't seen you in a while so we don't know how you're getting on how is what are you doing rehab wise now um, so I started private physio at NeuroConnects. Oh, yeah. I think some people might be familiar with it. 
Um, so as you just mentioned, everyone got different different type of rehab that we have to follow. Um, I'm a complete injury, which I'm, well, what science says from what I understand, so you can correct me, obviously, um, my chances of walking are not great. Um, so my main focus, it should be my core and my upper, upper body. So that would enable me to live a life where I can rely on my upper body to, I don't know, transfer better, lean forward and without, without falling on the floor. And so that's, that's what I need to focus on. But as I said, that's specific to my injury. And so at NeuroKinex, we've been working on my hip ex extensions, back extensions, because I was lying in bed for like two months in hospital and my lower back muscles, which sometimes they engage, sometimes they don't, they're really stiff. And we're trying to get them to engage and like to loosen up. Um, yeah, so that's basically what I've been doing. Are you, are you, quite, are you quite stiff in your hips? Yeah, so because like even a stand more, I don't know if that's like a general practice or not, but I didn't get my legs stretched. Like, like there was no leg stretches or things done t to my legs, but did you stand there, Ruth? You stood. <sighs> you just stand in front. Because of my wheelchair issues and stuff. And I had like a bad, like my knee was a bit twisted or something like that. So I didn't do much standing as I would like to do, but it wasn't, it was beyond, like it was beyond the physical control. Okay. Like it was due to other, other things. Okay. So now I try, we try to stretch it out because it's really, really, really stiff. <laughs> and it, when it engages, it helps me so much. Like I can do sit-ups nearly like from flat when it engages, but it's so hard to engage sometimes because it just, I can't feel that bit. I can't feel it. So it's just, it's just complicated. I don't know. You guys probably know better how to engage well, the Would it be useful to remind everyone what your level of injury is? Yeah, I think, that, uh, so I'm a T11, T12, Asia A yeah. complete injury. Yeah, so and you don't get spasms, do you? Or you do? See, my spasms are different, so I don't get spasms often, but do get them every now and then. Okay. So it's not like I don't get spasms, but they're not as like fre frequent as other people's. Yeah. Okay. So your injury probably, as it actually is, a little bit higher. It's actually extended a little bit higher for you to have spasms. So that's that's possibly likely um, that you've got some injury in your spinal cord above the sort of T10, 11 area, probably around there. And that's where the spinal cord changes from being on the central spinal cord to the cord requirement, like root injury. And that sounds like it's probably about there. That, and that's where you get a bit of a mixed picture of yeah. your injury. Yeah. Yes. So when you have spasms, it always causes complications, doesn't it? And, yeah. and the problem with spasms is they can be really helpful, but they also can cause tightness. Mm -hmm. And that maybe is what's happened that you've got, you know, your tightness because you've got a bit of spasm and then you've got stiff and you've been working hard and you've been sitting for a long time at studying. Yeah. yeah, it's hard, isn't it, to fit in your life around all of that. But standing would be really good for you. I know we waffle on about standing, but we do try and encourage people to stand as much as possible because it does help with stopping that happening. Yeah, I do stand like so. I, like my physio stand more. Mm. They did help me like getting a community standing frame at home. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So when I can, I use it. But it just like, you know, it's something that when you're in a wheelchair is the last thing that you think of like standing on a standing frame. So it's not, it's not always in in your head, but. When I do do it, I do feel like relieved in on my hips and. Yeah. Mind. So you yeah. say you have one at home. Yeah. Cool. How often do you use it? 
You see, I didn't ask. That's important. That's important to ask. Deliberately not going there. I was going to suggest that we We don't want to be brimmed up, do we? We use it once a week. And how often does your physio say you should use it? Three to four times. A week? Yeah. So I think Gracie, Gracie couldn't be here, unfortunately. She's unwell today, so we send lots of love to Grace. But I think maybe just chat with her because Grace, I think, is really good about having worked it into her routine about, you know, mm. using her standing frame, like, almost daily, I think. Um, so she might be worth having a chat yeah, with. Yeah, well, there's a difference. Grace got her standing frame at home. I don't leave her home. No. Sorry. Yeah, you're studying. I can't okay. use it, yeah. That's really difficult. Okay. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. Unless maybe, I'm going home every day. I was going to say, maybe there. we could get uni to get one for you <laughs> and keep it there. We might be able to do that, don't yeah. we? <laughs> okay, it's not just about mobility, is it, though? You must come across a lot of, as you said, Sue, it's, it's a holistic approach. Yeah. I mean, Ian, how emotional were you when you were in, in hospital? And, and how did that affect, like, what, what knock-on effect did that have for your physical recovery? Um, well, as what we spoke about on the um, mental health episode, I was horrifically bad mm-hmm. uh, when I was at Stanmore. Um, a lot to do with lack of sleep. There was a multitude of things going on, you know, like I said previously. Um, and the interest in doing physio sort of waned, I would say. So my recovery, I just sort of had to accept what was happening to me. Um, and I stayed in the wheelchair pretty much. I didn't sort of try and get out of it too much. And it wasn't until I left then I sort of started again because um, my surroundings were slightly different. I could cope with it slightly differently. Um, so the coping mechanism changed. So then I could rehab better, if that makes sense. So I, I think it's a lot to do with your mental health as well as. Do you and see that a lot? Yeah. And it's interesting um, because we've had this conversation many times. The, um, the old system of rehab was to keep patients in a lot longer. Mm. So I was around when we used to keep patients in a lot longer and there were arguments for and against that and there was a concern that people people lost their responsibility of self and self-control and that they became institutionalized um, and rehab times got shorter and shorter and shorter and I know at Stanmore we're very good at, at, at keeping our rehab times quite short um, and again that's been argued and criticized you know is it giving people enough time and you've just given a really good example of how actually having a short rehab early intervention rehab was better it, for you it worked for me yeah it doesn't I, for I was, everyone but it, it, it was, I had a very work. unusual situation in the acute hospital sort of took me under my under their wing and I had an hour of physio every day at the acute hospital which I think is the reason why I can walk now uh, to be perfectly mm. honest um, so then going to Stanmore and having issues, mental health issues I did at Stanmore, I felt I went backwards. Yeah. You know, I started somewhere and then went backwards from there, which ruined me. I yes. just couldn't quite get over that. I was very lucky to be able to get into the circle, uh, another rehabilitation place, and then sort of continue my rehabilitation and change my whole mindset on it. Yeah. Um, Do you think it was just that forward. overwhelming flood once you got to Stanmore into, into the Spinal Injuries Rehab Centre? Absolutely, It yeah. was just that whole whoosh of yeah. all that information, all that prognostic discussion, all that, this is it now, this yeah, is yeah. me, this is real. I, I mean, that it, you know, in some respects, the acute hospital was good because of what they did, and some it wasn't so good because I wasn't told certain things that was going on with my body until I got to Stonewall. Mm-hmm. So then you associate the bad things with the place you're in at that time. Yeah, so, I think it's, I, I found that, like, I found that really hard at the beginning at Stanmore mm. is that you're told this stuff that you're like, whoa, 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 I was injured six weeks ago and you're telling me this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, you know, I think that's because it must be planned out, you know, at what point do you break the news to people? They, there must be a reason why it's, it's held for so long. But, um, yeah, that made, made it really hard for me the first couple of weeks, but then something 
clicked yeah. after a couple of weeks and, and it was a totally different story. But Mike, you're, you you deal with people, with people mostly at a later stage. Usually, yeah, end stage rehab for, and, for neuro. And do they, how, do, do you have any of these problems or do you, do you encounter any emotional issues? Yeah, it's, I think it's on, ongoing mm-hmm. and you have to, the patients and, and the therapists have to be aware all the time that they're going through a lot all the time and everything's changing all the time. Um, it's it's good to hear that. So you, you look at the holistic approach. So a lot of things for neuro rehab and MSK, it's all based on exercise, exercise, exercise. And for me, it's exercise is one thing, but you've got sleep, you've got nutrition, you've got the biopsychosocial approach. So biologically, what is going on with the patient? That's one thing. But psychologically, how are they dealing with the change? Do they like what are their beliefs with what's gone on? So you're saying about six weeks after injury you're bombarded with all the information about what this being told to you about what, what's going on um, which I do as well you know education with patients is really important but I like to see what the patients know themselves at the moment in time and then maybe guide them into I don't know Sue you've got loads of experience when you hear what people think is going on you've then got the responsibility of maybe educating them into what is more likely going to happen which is it's, it's tough and um, even at my stage you know I could be seeing patients six months or two years down the line and sometimes they never really know exactly what's gonna gonna happen with you know Rube's being complete Ian being incomplete um, it's more of a question mark for, for Ian at this stage but for Rube's you know you you could still be so much better now you know physic physical strength yeah. Uh, you've got goals. You, we spoke earlier. You want you want to do some pull ups. You want to do some dips eventually. Yeah, eventually. As soon as you as soon as you finish uni, you know, getting on that, and that's going to make everything else in your life so much easier. Whether it be bed transfers, uh, you know, daily function, or just you know, wheeling yourself in a wheelchair. You know, you're going to be so much stronger. Um, and so yeah, it's a constant, not a battle, but you have to be on the ball all the time to you know how patients are feeling. So we get that quite a lot. Yeah. Sue, so, can I ask you about research? Because you do a lot of research and... Div- <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a bit. <laughs> well, I mean, you've written books and stuff, so... <laughs> books and stuff, that's how much... What's, I read stuff. <laughs> I do read and I do a bit. And you do, you're always doing, giving talks, yeah, and yeah. I get phone calls from Sue saying, do you mind if I use that picture in this conference? I'm like, okay, sure. Um, I'm like, oh, that's so special. <laughs> the special one. <laughs> um, what, what are you working on the, at the moment, research-wise? Um, well, there's there's lots going on. At the moment, we're still looking at using electrical stimulation in assisting recovery um, in incomplete. And we're trying to incorporate that with virtual reality. So it's using the um, unique iCycle bike that was manufactured by the engineering team at UCL. Uh-huh. And then using a virtual reality feedback to give you a little bit more input. You've seen it, haven't you? Yes, yeah, we're still looking at that and we're hoping to go to the next phase on that. Um, currently, uh, one of my colleagues, Joe, who you know, is looking at um, using uh, some of the shockwave treatment to help with management of spasticity and um, I'm keeping an eye on that for him while he's off doing his travels and we've got um, uh, Emma's doing some work also on vibration on tendon vibration to reduce spasticity so I mean there's stuff going there's there's looking at the the create team are looking at epidural stimulation and cervical spine stimulation there's a lot of things going on um, that's all the time everywhere this is just the stuff that's going on in our teams at the moment there's there's a lot of research going on everywhere all the time it's hard to keep up 
that's yeah. why I'm always reading. I just it's hard to keep up with it and see what's I mean, happening next. Sorry, sorry. sorry, no, just quick question yeah, for yeah. you. So you just mentioned all this um, well advancement or yeah. research, but you 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 mentioned that for incomplete injuries. For some, what, do yeah. you have like what is being done for like? complete injuries at the moment is there yes. any research that's going towards complete yes. injuries or? yeah the um the uh, epidural stimulation that was being done um in louisiana and i'm sure you more seen something on panorama i think it was on that was on a complete injury um the research that jeffrey raisman did where they took the stem cells from the ear from the olfactory cells from the ear which wasn't done in the uk it was done in europe that was done on a complete injury a gentleman that had had was it a gunshot injury? I can't remember. He had an, a hole in his spinal cord. It was complete injury. Mm-hmm. I think he had some zones of preservation. Um, and he had the stem cell implant across a graft. And that was complete injury. The, a lot of the work... I went to the International Spinal Cord um, Society Conference last year in Sydney. And the work that was presented there was on neck stimulation, cervical stimulation, on old tetraplegic injuries that were complete injuries. And they looked at restoring upper limb function that has been lost for years. And it's small case studies. The trouble is with research in spinal injuries is that um, we are relatively a small group of people. You know, take stroke, there's a lot more patients with stroke across studies in the UK and internationally. So we're quite a small group. And then trying to get patients that meet criteria and research is really strict it's quite hard it's frustrating you have to meet exactly the right criteria to be eligible and then you have to get a good number of people in a study so by the time you get all of that together it's quite hard to make it credible and then the best sort of research um is as multi-center randomized control studies or blinded studies really hard to get those done because we can't ever withhold treatment from patients and say well i'm not going to give you any therapy you're just going to sit in your wheelchair and you're going to have this therapy and that's how we prove the therapy works so do you see how hard it is Mm. to do this stuff um so yeah, there's a, there is a lot of research for complete injuries. Can I just pick up on the six-week prognosis information, all that information you yeah. get at six? Just wanted to say that it's, it's interesting. So um, research has shown, and the research is, is, is reviewed regularly, that we get a lot of information about how you're doing at six weeks because that's when the spinal shock begin is, is well worn off really so the cord gets shocked and after a trauma to it that tends to wear off and that can wear off within hours days but six weeks is the given time for most people to have had the spinal shock that's disappeared as eased away and we're beginning to see what's underneath so that's why six weeks is when people start to talk to you about prognosis but research has shown that actually three months is a very reasonable time well if you look at discharge times now three months you've gone haven't you a lot of patients may have left the acute rehab service and they're now waiting to come back in for secondary rehab going somewhere else so in fact it's really difficult to have that conversation at that stage and have any any real knowledge of how you're doing and I can tell you we've had plenty of patients that have left us that have been tetraplegic complete injuries and have come back to us a year later standing so they we were wrong they were wrongly diagnosed now the the diagnostic system the um assessment the asia is international yeah it's very it's it's tricky but they're improving on it and they've just done an update um i was just doing my online training (laughs) Uh, they've just done an update on it and uh and and they are improving it with evidence as more evidence Mm. comes out they try and improve it so that we are better at giving a better prognosis 
because that's so a true. conversation we often have amongst yeah. ourselves yeah. where we don't fully understand classifications yeah. or we have different interpretations of it yeah. and which I suppose is not really our you know, it really doesn't affect me. I know what I'm able to do, and that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, that's to how me, you should really. do it, though, isn't yeah. it? As opposed yeah. to thinking of a score that yeah. somebody subjectively it's, has done yeah, at the time. Just to give us an idea, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. How that. subjective is it? Sorry, um, just the, the pinprick, the pinprick, and the light touch is, is subjective because it's sensation. Yeah. But subjective to me or to the no, to, to the you. person. Yeah, yeah. To me. We do it in a standard way. Exactly. Yeah, you come to the face, come to the point, come to the face in ten times. So it's it, there's a standardized technique for doing the sensation testing, but the problem is there is there is some areas that can be a bit fuzzy, and that that's not necessarily that you haven't felt it. There's lots of reasons. It can just be that you've actually got slightly distracted. You've got a lot of things on your mind. You're in a lot of pain. There's lots of reasons why a sensation isn't clear to you. Um, or it might be more sensitive, hypersensitive. So there's, there, there is a subjectivity in sensation, mm. but we have a good idea if we check sacral segments, which are the important ones for incomplete. incomplete. And that's how you decide. Yeah, you, you, you know, we genuinely tend to know whether you felt it or not felt it. And, and, but you know, sometimes the person doing the assessment not, might not be very good at it. They, you know, we put our hands up and say, we, yeah. yeah, when we're doing our, our assessments, you know, we'll, yeah. we can disagree, especially on muscle power and spasm. Mm. You know, mm. yeah, it is. It's a tool, but it's Some, not. Something I want to ask you, Sue, if you don't mind. Um, the other date or time chronology uh, that's always mentioned is two years. Yes. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Is that a... <laughs> yes. So two years again is the one that was in the books and, yeah. and it used to say two years. That's it. Yeah. So what they've shown from taking good long data and putting together some really long term study of data of recovery that you get this um, nice curve where you get this immediate fast track recovery so you get a nice incline of recovery rate over time and then it starts to slowly flatten out and over the next year after the first year they start to see less of a massive incline however what happens is that then the graph isn't long enough (laughs) (laughs) that's a great answer that is a great answer so so a lot of the studies are two-year studies and a lot of the early studies so there was a um some really good studies that were over five years with central cord injuries and they were very interesting Mm. and they showed really good improvements over a longer period of time but you know a lot of studies won't be funded for five years a lot of institutes won't won't give you funding for five years Mm. and because research is all about the study being funded rather than the research needing to be done then we don't get the answers that we're looking for we only get the answers we're allowed to find and I think research is tricky sometimes like that Um, so I know because I've been doing this a little while (laughs) that I know that I see patients making onward recovery for years and years and you know a quarter quina being one of them and we we see this long 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 term of changes and we never say never and also we never say never because new interventions come along and they change things. And we've had patients that were told they were complete and have come into us years later in clinic and they said, I've got these awful spasms. And we're, you know, the, the, the doctor may sort of say, can you see this patient with me? I'm a bit confused and we'll all sit together and the team will sit down. Still and actually, right they've actually got activity that they didn't know because they couldn't feel it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's happened to our Chris oh, yes. recently. Chris, yeah, Chris yeah. recently discovered he had uh, activity yeah. that he didn't know he had. Because yes. so you can't feel it. Because you can have muscle activity yeah. and you think it's a spasm. And in fact, then the therapists will show you, no, actually, look, we can let it go. We can find it again. We can let it go. And we can use FES and things like that. So it's mm. it's 
it's an unknown science. We mm. are only just scratching the surface mm. with our neurological understanding. Sue, so yeah. you, you mentioned there that you've been doing this for a little while. Um, <laughs> and we have mentioned on the show before about that if we any of us had had our injuries, you know, 40, 50 years ago, yeah. what a, a different state of affairs it would be. Um, when you, like throughout your career, you must have seen amazing developments mm. in, in, you know, all of, of what's available to people and, and the recoveries that people are getting. Do you think that within our lifetimes there will be a cure for paralysis? I really hoped that there would be in my career. Okay. So before I'd finally decide I can't carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I really hoped I would see it. And I think we've touched on it in, in many ways. That I think the thing is it's, it's complicated and there's not an answer that you just get these stem cells, patch them in, Bob's your uncle. I wish it was. Because every is different as well as, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like each stem cell. Yeah. Can I ask you, what were the um, results for the stem cells that were recently done in Europe? So that, that was quite impressive. So th they used this one single case study of this gentleman that had to have the operation on his his ear yeah. and so they took the opportunity to harvest the, okay. the cells from his olfactory and sheathing cells and they took those cells and put them in and they found those to be the best ones and because he had quite a tidy injury with quite a specific lesion a, a hole they put the graft of the matrix across and then and then implanted the cells in he regained some activity in his lower limbs that was that's really previously. promising so it was very promising but the problem is it is very specific to that individual um and i guess the same with the um stimulation that they've been using on the um, epidural stimulation yeah. that's been you know a small number small cohort small, small number of people and i, th I think you know, there's definitely we're seeing interventions where we're using stimulation and, and movement facilitation using robotics and all, you know, repetitive movement training. Yeah. We've seen that with stimulation that definitely has a, a, a facilitation, a, a improvement, a encouragement of recovery that seems to work much better than not doing it. So we've seen that and the research shows that that's quite positive. And we're seeing all sorts of other techniques that are being used to try and open up pathways. And what they have said now is even if you have only small tendrils of neurons sparing in an injured cord, they can actually achieve a huge amount with it now. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. So I think I think we're at a stage where we're seeing a lot more and, and the research is moving faster. But I, I think to actually anticipate that we're going to cure it. In other words, you have your injury, they bring you into the operating theatre to do something. We're not there yet. Still far. Yeah, mm. and and you know, it, you get excited. I get excited, and then I get a bit despondent because <laughs> it hasn't worked again. You know, I think that happens mm. with anything new. Um, but we are finding more accessible. We see more incomplete injuries. We're seeing more patients recovering for longer, with good with good techniques, good handling, good follow up. You know, all of that I think helps. Yeah. So for as a general rule, then for anybody with any kind of injury, um, like my my understanding is that your rehab is never complete. You can always be a little bit stronger. You can always be, you know, recover a little bit more. I'm. I see Mike nodding his head there. That's yeah. what you're for, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's his job, though. So, <laughs> no, while you know, I I firmly believe I was accused actually recently on on one of our social media platforms of giving people false hope because I made some comment about you know research or something i don't know anything about size i don't know anything about research but i don't i think everybody should have some hope um mm. and and what can they do to make sure that 
people that are at their fittest mm. if and when the time comes that there may be some kind of solution see a professional to start with um sue mentioned about um i think it was before the podcast assessing someone's gait pattern so if someone's got a poor gait pattern is that due to uh, a muscle that is working but is weak that we can strengthen up or is it due to a muscle that just isn't working so then how do we get around that if we took so there's five of us around the table if let's say we're a fully functioning human being we all pick up this table in front of us and we try and carry it outside we can all do that quite well we've got like a what 20 percent load between us if a couple of us decide to just not work anymore that's 40 percent share between three of us that we have to really work extra hard now i could then get an injury through lifting the table up so let's say i'm a muscle i'm going to be under more load so i need to get stronger to be able to help everyone else lift the table if you know ruth and ian you know you just don't want to work anymore you don't want to pick up the table we me rubes and so have got to work harder so it's really important that we as muscles are as strong as we can be to make this lifting the table much easier so for for you ruth walking uh, I, i've only seen you walking around the studio i've not seen you mm. like out on the street to use a stick to use poles yeah, and, the stick, yeah. yeah so it's really important i assume that you have muscles that aren't working so you have to or yeah. yeah so we have to make sure that the muscles that are working are as strong as they can be so you don't get these biomechanical overcompensations and pain like knee pain and your muscles that are working are going to get more stiff because they're working a lot harder so it's really important that everything's tailored especially to you to make sure you rehab's right i think the other thing is to be aware of just keeping we're, we're all the same every one of us in the population needs to keep fit but one thing we've started to really realize is how important it is for those of us with impaired mobility need to keep fit because it increases your possibility of getting secondary problems in later life. Mm -hmm. So um, when, uh, after the Vietnam War and after the World Wars, uh, patients with a broken back wouldn't have survived very long because of the management wasn't effective for infections, etc. Yeah. And so and patients got pressure ulcers and got septic. So we now know our patients now live much longer and um, and fulfilled lives but what we want to do is make sure that they then protect re, re, restore fitness to keep sure keep them well so that they can carry on living a healthier life so we're very much on this bandwagon at the moment and I bought them with me especially for us which is to look at the new scientific guidelines on fitness and we're all the same all of us have to follow the the guidelines on what we should do to keep fit and we're all probably very guilty of not doing it maybe without exception <laughs> <laughs> he looks very much like he does do his exercises uh, some of us don't do them as often as we should do and i think why are you uh, looking, at me, no, looking at me <laughs> that was me self-reflecting <laughs> but i think i think what we're trying to do now is encourage our patients very much to to look at their general fitness yeah. and to keep them their heart and their muscles fit um and there's been a lot of work about sharing that uh, information and getting that out to everyone working with injuries um and and other neurological injuries as well so I think we, we are very aware now that we've got to be careful because we're storing up problems for all of our, uh, our patients and clients um, in the future to make sure that they're keeping well and keeping fit and looking after their general heart health as well, diabetes and, and joints, you know. So all of those things, really. So, you know, keeping st strong and fit is important for all of us. It's a win-win situation anyway, because yes. if you keep fit, then you can go on about your life, you know. 
in a like healthier and like probably yeah. smoother way. Yeah. And then yeah. if some things come up where you can actually use your yeah. like if you're fit enough and well enough, then you can get this research onto you and yeah. benefit from it. But if you're not let's say if you're not standing like I'm just giving an example now. If you're not standing for like 15 years in a row, it's going to be hard in 15 years for you to be standing because your muscles are not going to be used to that. Yeah. But if you do, like, that's what I'm saying about hope. It's like, you you might, you might you should have hope. We shouldn't be some irrational hope that you should, that you're going to get back to walking because not, because if everyone's going to get back to walking, the, there would be no wheelchairs. Like, yeah. RGK would be out of business. <laughs> <laughs> But you do ha- you do need to be hopeful that something's going to come your way. But at the same time, you have to put your own input as well. Yeah. Because if the cure is there, but then you didn't keep yourself well enough, yeah. you're not going to be able to use it. Yes, absolutely. And that's I think that's why it's a win-win situation. It's like managing your expectations, though, isn't it? That's, mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. Yes. You're, everyone's different. Everyone's spinal cord injury is different. You can't say anyone's the same. Yeah. So the one thing I was going to say, was, which I've been suffering from recently, is doing so much physical work is I suffer from fatigue yeah. quite a lot so I have yeah. to rest a lot so yeah. if I have a heavy day at the gym one day and I'm at work uh, or volunteering the next day I have to take it very easy yeah, and I'm then really the next... fatigued as well I don't know if it's correlated to the injury or not but yes. after the injury I like even going to classes and doing normal these activities yes. it does it's totally related yes. absolutely yes. related yeah, yeah absolutely and you do need to work yourself up to building up that endurance and the ability to manage that and yeah it is about doing a pacing program to get yourself carefully there and it's hard when you're you're sitting but you're focusing when you're studying and that's quite hard to do because you've been encouraged to be active while you were doing your rehab and then you're told to keep still again and you you know you're really you've got to try and do everything but you've got these periods of study and it's not good, you know, it's not ideal. you're already sitting down, so you don't need to sit at the chair. It's <laughs> true, you're there. You're there already. <laughs> so, so tell us about these uh, guidelines. Oh, the, yeah, so these uh, scientific guidelines for adults with spinal cord injury uh, were published. It was some work that's been done um, in collaboration with several um, centres. The, the, the Canadian guidelines, the Canadians uh, had been putting together some really useful guidelines for some years. But this is the new version that has been done in collaboration with Loughborough here. Okay. Um, and the Rick Hansen Institute um, and the I think it's the University of British Columbia that yeah I can just about read that now um, <laughs> uh, um, have uh, been involved in putting together and they they've done some really vigorous um, good uh, research to actually pull together these guidelines and they've evaluated it systematically and come together with all, all the latest information to give you fitness guidelines and cardio metabolic health guidelines and the fitness guidelines are for you to do twice a week um, your 20 minutes of moderate exercise and then on top of that three times a week uh, no twice a week sorry of three sets of strengthening exercises so those are the ones that they've given as a basic guideline for okay. your fitness mm-hmm. and then for your cardio metabolic you're looking at your more vigorous activity mm-hmm. and you should really try and do that three times a week for 30 minutes so that's what all of us should do that's i think the general population but they're saying that that would be good for everybody even if they're not actively walking 
as much as they would like to be should still be trying to do something vigorous so that could be rowing you know talked about rowing yeah um and that could be um arm cycling if you couldn't do with leg cycling you're good yeah. at the battle ropes aren't you yeah yes. the ropes the ropes. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, so any of those activities that are more vigorous really and 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 keep you get your heart rate up really the hardest thing is for us to work with patients with a higher injury, a cervical injury, because they um, their heart rate doesn't react in the same way. The same and you all know yeah. about this, don't you? Yeah, because yeah. of the effects on the autonomic nervous system. Yeah. yeah, so that's quite tricky. And we have to have to monitor them more carefully because you can't just check heart rate. It's a bit deceptive. Mm. I've, um, got a, I've got yeah. a question, actually. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on sauna use? For those yes. patients. Yes. Now, I I haven't got all the evidence on sauna use, but I do. I have heard it's not been recommended for patients with a T six and above injury. Mm-hmm. What's that sauna? Like sauna, sauna, you yeah. know, the sort of heat, yeah, yeah, yeah. steam rooms. Just anything that problems. increases your core temperature. Yeah. That just if... get cause AD, isn't it? Yes, it's very likely to cause AD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, you're, yeah, you're, you're below T6. Right. Yeah. yeah, you'd be all right. So it's probably... the rooms, they might get too hot. Yeah, they would. Only on a wooden stool. You're not allowed to sit on anything with metal, right? Mine said it was fine. You can't pull yourself out, you can't touch the earth. I think it could be very very dangerous yeah so because if it's below t t6 and you don't yeah. you don't have that uh the issues with your Automatic heart rate regulation and your blood yeah. pressure yeah. uh it's really good to get your your heart rate up um through sauna use and by getting your core body temperature up you're um helping your cardiovascular system and it also helps to retain uh, muscle mass rather than losing it and we're all going to be going to buy the next week believe me the dangerous bit is trying to get to the sauna around the swimming pool or your sports therapist trying to push you in the swimming pool part of your balance rehab exactly Ian it's good for you So, guests, have you heard of the role models game? I have. Yes. I have listened yeah. to it on uh, podcast. You listen to all of them. During my commute. You've heard I, of No, my... I, I don't. No. Oh, you only listen to think, season one, did well, you? No, I, I listened to the Christmas special. Was it in that? Uh, was it no, in the Christmas special? Was, was it? Christmas it was, special? I, we were all too drunk in the Christmas oh, okay. special <laughs> to know yeah. what we were Fair doing. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Um, no, I don't think it was. Um, but anyway, well, you'll get to experience it today. Um, so it's, the game is that I will place you all in a hypothetical situation and you have to tell me what you would do uh, and what a role model yes, would no, do. Yes, I have. You have. I have, yeah. Okay. So uh, by role model, of course, we mean somebody with impeccable moral standards. Uh, and by you, we mean we want the whole truth. <laughs> Nothing but the truth. <laughs> so you're a physiotherapist in a spinal unit or a newer ward. Um, you guys can just go with this, Rubes and Ian, pretend you're physiotherapists for now. <laughs> it's Monday morning and your first task of the day is a session with a patient who is very angry and emotional, clearly still struggling to come to terms with his injury. Last week he refused to participate in any of his sessions or to listen to any advice you tried to give him. Today he's just the same, sitting silently and ignoring you. You tried to cajole him by sitting with him and using all the encouraging words you can find and that's when he turns to you and you can't believe it, he spits in your face oh. and he shouts at you to leave him alone. Oh. What do you do? What does a role model do? So you is the what you would what you would like the inner you. Who are you asking, Sue? Asking everybody. Oh, so God. you mentioned Monday mornings. 
If yeah. you know, we were I don't work Mondays. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you wake up. <laughs> um, oh, if it was, if I was working that Monday and someone did that to me, I would, uh, I would turn away, wipe the spit from my face, and just walk out, wash myself up, and say, "I'm not treating you again." That's what I would do. A role model would go to the sink, wash his face, and go, "Come on, <laughs> just try again." I don't know. Um, I've I've never heard of that happening to anyone. I would be in shock. I wouldn't know what to do. You know, these questions come from my imagination. <laughs> so you can imagine what Got happens. A sick there. imagination. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to be. I'm gonna have to fess up here. Up until the spitting point, that was probably me in one of my sessions at Stanmore. <laughs> and what happened to me was I was taken for a cup of coffee. Mm. And we had just had a chat and we talked things through and then I was absolutely fine after that. Because and because it wasn't it wasn't the physio that was the issue, it yeah. was the everything else that was going on that was the issue. That's a good point. Oh, in my early days I used to have um the physiotherapist that I had would just sit and have a chat with me. Yeah. I was just like not be yeah. I it wasn't that I refused to do it, was it was that just after that I was, you spat in their face. <laughs> <laughs> I was too, like, it wasn't that I that I refused to do it and I was just too emotional, I wasn't getting it. I didn't understand how important it was and then yeah. uh he just sit with me and just chat about random stuff. And then yeah. I think that built up a rapport as well. So I yeah. trusted him then more. So then when I go down, he's like, come on, we'll try this. I'd be like, okay, fine. Yeah, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was quite good. But if I was the physiotherapist and that happened to me, I would probably deck them. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then claim insanity. <laughs> and then say, it's fine. I always wanted a different career anyway. <laughs> and I'd go and I'd start a podcast about that, it. That's only one fell swoop. That's only one movement, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, me um well it sounds like an interview question that i might give to one of my staff <laughs> you can have us it's all yours <laughs> it's like a bit of a scenario question that we do for interviews anyone listening but i have got the job for decades <laughs> no <laughs> so yeah i you know it is it is hard i've i haven't had someone actually spit in my face but i've had someone throw something at me um years ago from his bed um when he was being very very rude to a nurse and uh, I went over to say that, you know, that's not appropriate. And I had quite a good relationship with him and he was in a rage. He was ranting and he, he threw something at me then. Um, but, you know, we understand why it is. It is difficult. The trouble is when you are actually you know working in hospital mode or in work mode, you put on your professional hat with your uniform and you actually have to stick with it. Mm. So you can never, ever be who you'd want to be. Breaking character. <laughs> you can never, never, ever would break character. And, you Apart know, from Mike. Yeah. <laughs> It might be quite upsetting. You might actually get really upset. Actually, yeah. you might, you know, sort of turn away in floods of tears. Um, you know, could be a really bad day for you too. Yeah. You know, because funny enough, kind of all the staff are human as well. They have lives. <laughs> um, but you know, you're quite right. It would have been let's go for a coffee. You know, you're really upset. I can tell you're really upset. Sorry about this. Let's chat. Let's, are you buying uh, the coffee or? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and fair, the biscuits. The for me as well, coffee actually. and biscuits. Yeah. No, it's it's a hard one, isn't it? But you you know your gut feeling would be right that's it and walk away and and that would be totally reasonable to walk away and say I'm going to let you cool down and come back later yeah. um but I think yeah I, you know my my role model would be to say come on you're you know this is like you're obviously having a really bad time let's let's go and have a chat let's go and get something to eat oh you're so good Sue I would tip them out of the chair what would you do Ruth would tip them out of the chair did you see any examples of anything in St when you were in Stanmore you guys I there was one I'm not going to say no, much no, about no, it no, but not, there no. was yeah. there was one person who got upset but I heard it you know I heard it from his point of view and it was like actually the person that he was working with on that occasion was very difficult and I'd had difficulties with that so I understand why he got so yeah. frustrated 
but he totally shouldn't have done what he did. But no. I mean, I think it's it's people are under under the kind of pressure you can never imagine, mm. you know, or just I was, I was things. It's very difficult. You just have a completely life changing yeah. situation yeah. happen to you. None of us yeah. could empathise with that. Yeah, right? yeah. You're not and it's cope not that just about your mobility. Yeah. Like people worry about. You know, they might be in, have difficulties then with family. They might have difficulties with job. They yep. might be under financial pressure because of the injury. They might have, you know, not be seeing their family as much as they'd like. They might, you know, whatever. There must might be a million different things and that, that are not that on its own. If you take away the injury, yeah, that on its own, you put someone in hospital for however many weeks. You, they don't know what's going on outside because you know, then they're not really in contact with their family. They're not doing their, their routine. They're not sleeping very well. They're not eating very well. That can just bring on stress on its own. Yeah. But then on top of that, they have this, like you said, life-changing event and you don't know where it's going to go. So, I think I think one thing that we always uh, mention to our staff when they when they come to work with us um, is to, to say to them, you know, just stop for a minute and think how you are now and think about, this life-changing situation tomorrow and how would you how would you put yourself there to try it's impossible isn't it because we don't know how it feels Mm. because we haven't had that event happen to us Mm. and and none of us know how each other feels if one person has an injury they don't feel the same as another person because of their whole life circumstances Mm. but what we try and do is try and make them stop and think if this was you tomorrow how would you feel because it's it's a it's that shock you know quite often with with these injuries they're very instantaneous they're quite a you know not all of them are traumatic but even the pathologies can be fast Mm. so you can be walking and then not and it can be that quick so it it is it's really big big traumatic changes isn't it yeah let's put a downer on your game (laughs) (laughs) okay and on that note So as Chris isn't here again, because he has so many trains, he's still cleaning them, um, I have the question. So the question is from Mark in Yorkshire, and his question is, what band or group, living or dead, would you like to see reunited? Anyone? Easy. Queen. Mm. With Ah. Freddie Mercury. I've seen them with Adam Lambert, and it was brilliant, but, you know, he's no Freddie. That would be my thing. Okay. The Beatles is an obvious one. Good one, there. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Yeah. Nirvana. I was just about to say Nirvana. For me, it's got to be Nirvana. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that you were a Nirvana person, Ribs. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of his guilty pleasures, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> who would you, would you say, Ian? I'd say Nirvana, because I, yeah, I had tickets to go and see them. I saw them at Reading once, I think in 1992. And then I had tickets to go and see them again in 94, just as he killed himself. Oh. So, yeah, I think Nirvana, because I still got the ticket. Oh. <laughs> Do you? I still, yeah, I still got it, yeah. Oh, that's quite cool. I didn't even know who they were. I mean, I just had no idea what was going on. All the teenagers around me were going, crying. And I was just like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and then I listened to the music and I was like, I'm sorry, what is this? <laughs> I was much older before I started to appreciate it. How about you, Mike? I was going to agree with Sue and say the Beatles, but are Stereophonics still going? Stereophonics they are, still are going. Yeah, just yeah. released another album. Oh, perfect. I'm missing out on that then. They just, they, they <laughs> My dreams come true. Yeah. <laughs> they were playing either. in Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Like friends at it. So I think that might be a Reading this year, actually. So Sweet. Rage Against the Machine just reformed. They're going to be at Reading. So. Yes. Didn't they get a Christmas number one? They like did, in yeah. 2009 or yeah. something. No. Yeah, Killing in the Name of yeah. it was called. Yeah, it's yeah. Got master now. <laughs> 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 I 
the only fact I know I, about music. <laughs> I think it was something to do with not getting one of these. It was Simon Cowell. Fabricated bands as so number one. So yeah. everyone voted like Killing in the Name of, which yeah. has swearing in it to yeah. get into Christmas. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah, that was yeah. another one people were singing when yeah. I was about 10, going, What's going on? Yeah, thanks. Now I feel really old. <laughs> You're at least 15, Ruth. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm only 15 now. What are you talking about? Um, okay, great. Mike and Sue, have either of you seen the This Is Spinal Crap mug? I have. You've seen I've it? I've seen it. I've seen it on your Facebook page. <laughs> I it's something that you aspire to owning, obviously. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you are now part of the very exclusive club of owners <laughs> of the This Is Spinal Crap mug. Infamous. You have yeah. both won a mug just for coming on and sharing your time and knowledge and expertise with us. And um, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Um, and just like that, folks, our studio episodes have come to an end. That's it. And you can connect with us, of course, on socials, Instagram at This Is Spinal Crap, Facebook and Twitter at Spinal Crap Show. You can email us in at thisisspinalcrap at gmail.com and sign up for our newsletter on the website, thisisspinalcrap.com. Um, and as a final uh, farewell from our last studio episode, um, I'd like to say a massive thanks once again to Coloplast who have supported us from day one. And um, we wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. So thank you. Thank um, you very much. Yeah, and uh, we look forward to catching you all on our social networks and seeing well, you. Thank out. you to the listeners as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> those people, <laughs> those people, Ruth's mom and <laughs> Great <at> Penny. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ruth. Uh, thanks, thanks, listeners. Thanks, everybody who's been involved. So until next time, this is Spinal Crap. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to This Is Spinal Crap and thank you to our sponsors Colaplast. If you like this week's show please be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media.